You are listening to Faith Talk. And through our dialogue together on this platform, we aim to draw relevancy from the biblical text and bring clarity to our own religious experience. Now I'm inviting you to come into the room as a guest, join the conversation, share your sacred story with us. I'd like for you to share with us today how God has been active in your life. So come on in and tell us about it. <clears throat> today I'm going to be uh, reflecting briefly on a, on a story that is found in the Gospel of Luke. The 13th chapter, verses 10 through 17. It's a story of Jesus healing a crippled woman on the Sabbath. Now, if you're familiar with this story and you have particular insight, please come on in and, and share what it is that you'd like to let us know. So again, I'm going to be speaking from the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, <clears throat> verses 10 through 17. Before I get started, I want to let you know that I have released a book. And the title of the book is Religious Education, Journey Beyond the Insularity of the Religious Text. This book is available on Amazon. And the, the book um, explores what we call a reconceptualist pedagogical approach that addresses the need for educating beyond the socially restrictive language of doctrine and orthodoxy. And, and to this end, attention is given in the book to, to uh, religious education models, language, and underlying ideologies that have inadequately shaped the religious education curriculum. So the, uh, the identification of these inadequacies that contribute to the activity of religious education, along with a set of curricular activities to address the need, shape the purpose and, and the aim of this book. So I invite you to go on to Amazon and get the book. It's Religious Education, Journey Beyond the Insularity of the Religious Text by Jay Glover. Now, to get to our text today, it's the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, uh, verses 10 through 17. And it reads in this way. The Bible tells us that in verse 10, it says that on the, the Sabbath, that Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So yes, it is here during the ministry of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus that we find Jesus doing what he often did during his ministry, which was what? Teaching. And as he was teaching with great authority and astonishing people in his audience, the Bible tells us that there was a woman there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. The Bible says that she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, if you notice my title for this subject, it is A Woman Encounters Jesus and What Happens? Well, this woman is introduced into the story, not with a name, but we come to know of her through her condition. She is described as crippled by a spirit for 18 years. That's only almost 20 years, very long time. Bible says that she was bent over 
and couldn't straighten up at all. When I imagined this woman as she walked around, her, her physical posture, I imagine, was so bad that it caused her to continuously look downward, never looking upward, but her eyes focused on the ground, which for me kind of symbolizes her, her depression, her um, discontent, her despair. Socially, she was in, a, in the synagogue, yes, but, but there she was treated as unequal to men. That was the, the patriarchal structure in those days. That's the way it was. Not only did she suffer with that type of marginalization, but she was sickly. She had a chronic ailment. It is at this point in the story that we see her helplessness. I would go as far as to say that she was without hope. She had no hope for getting better. She didn't have hope for a brighter tomorrow. But here's the thing. This story portrays this woman in a way that symbolizes many of us today, both men and women. It symbolizes those of us who feel unable to stand tall and to face life head on. Some of us are crippled by shame and the dreadful feeling that we are defective and, and unworthy of love. Some of us are handicapped by emotional wounds from childhood. And some of us are diminished by the oppression of prejudice and discrimination and being unjustly denied equal access to educational and work opportunities. Yes, the burdens of life can at times be so heavy that it is not difficult to identify with this bent over woman. We at times are so burden laden that we are always looking downward without hope, just getting by on a daily basis. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, living from paycheck to paycheck, unable to pay our bills or to meet our monetary obligations. Maybe we're struggling with health issues, relationship issues, family problems, marital struggles. Maybe it's wayward children that cause us to hold our head down in despair. We're all facing some sort of struggle. But here's a bit of good news in this story. It is in verse 12 where we see the compassion. The Bible says in verse 12 in four words, it says when Jesus saw her, and I would like to pause right there because this is something we don't want to quickly read past. The Bible says that when Jesus saw her, Jesus, the son of God, saw this woman in the synagogue as he was teaching. He was drawn to her because of her humanity, 
as a person, her suffering, she was afflicted and suffering with many years of discomfort. But this extreme discomfort would not get past the watchful eye of Jesus. I want to let you know today that even though it might not feel like it and it might not seem like it, I came by here to let us know that, to remind us all, that God sees us today just like he saw this woman back then. He sees you and I. He sees all that we struggle with, all that we wrestle with. He sees our circumstance. And as the songwriter said, he looked beyond my faults and he saw my need. Jesus looked at this woman. He saw her and he saw her condition and he saw her need. The Bible goes on to say that he, not only did he see her, but he called her. He called her forward, the calling of God. She was called out of the crowd from maybe sitting in the back, in the corner. She was called out of her loneliness. She was called out of her despair, out from her affliction, out of her isolation. And guess what she did? She courageously, obediently, she stepped forward in a faithful response to Jesus. Now, she didn't ask for anything. She didn't complain to Jesus. She didn't come crying at, and falling at his feet. The text gives us no indication that she even said anything to Jesus up to this point. And it does not surprise me because women were often prohibited from speaking face to face with a man. So I imagine her being isolated, quiet, and just existing in that place. But again today, I also want to remind us that God is calling us today. Just like he called this woman, this woman, he's continuing to call you. He's reaching out today, right now. I believe that God is calling us to a place where we also can be further liberated from anything that tries to pull us away from God, anything that would try to take the joy of living away from us. And some of you might say, well, I've known the Lord for most of my life and I've been a servant Christian. Well, let me just say this. We all have struggles. God is trying to call us. He's calling us in the midst of any trouble, any sickness, any situation, or any disordered attachment that we may have. What do I mean by disordered attachment? Well, I mean anything that takes a place in our heart greater than God, than our love for God. 
It may be a love for finance. It may be a love for material acquisition, our careers, anything that takes the place that only God should have in our heart is, is what I like to call a disordered attachment. So not only does Jesus see this woman, not only does he call her, but then he says to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. So my goodness, he gave her the good news. It was news of her deliverance news of being rescued, saved, and healed from a, an affliction that was with her for 18 long years. He declared her wellness and her wholeness, just like, just like God spoke the universe into existence through his word. In this case, his words were performative and he spoke wholeness into her life. He spoke healing into her life. His words changed her existence, her reality. He prospered her life in an instant. The very thing that had caused her to walk with her head down for 18 years was done away with. And if, if, if that wasn't enough, the Bible goes on to tell us that after he, after he saw her, after he called her, and after he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. After he declared her wholeness, then the Bible says that he put his hands on her. He touched her. My goodness. So it is here in the text that we see the touch of God. And I would ask the question today, is anyone in this listening audience ever been touched by God. Whoever your God construct is, whoever you believe God to be, have you ever been touched by God? And if you're bold enough to come on and share that with us, please do. Perhaps you remember when he touched you with his finger of love when you, when you first got saved, as we say. Maybe you can recall the moment when tears streamed down your face and you were overwhelmed with the consoling love of God. That's what happened to me. You remember, maybe you remember when he touched you when you were deep in despair and he raised you up to a new life. He resurrected you from your despair and placed you on a trajectory towards healing and and well-being. He touched you and you've never been the same. Well, I want to let you know that her response was a celebration. I have a, a guest coming in. His name is William. And we welcome William. And I, William, I, I thank you for coming in and 
and tell us what's on your mind today. Well, you were asking the, the question there if uh, anyone knew or could tell uh, that they had been touched by God. That's right. And uh, I had one of those experiences in my tell life. Tell us about it, will you? I hadn't been. I feel it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't even be here today, but I am. But uh, now I'm not a Christian, okay? I am a uh, believer that there is a God. And I know this fact, there is a God, because when I was laying in a hospital bed, dying from alcohol poisoning 30 years ago, uh, I had one of those bright light experiences where the uh, the room was bright and, and warm and I felt at ease and at peace. And uh, I didn't know I was dying. I was too, too drunk to know anything. But uh, the, literally the the, uh, the doctors and the police were waiting outside of the room for me to go ahead and kick the bucket so the police could fill out their paperwork and go home. And they could send what was left of me down into the morgue or wherever they were going to put me. So, but in that moment of bright light and warmth and just a feeling of peace and serenity and relaxation, something I hadn't felt since I was a child, really. Uh, I, I, I fell asleep. I was, woke up an hour or so later, and I was fine. There was nothing wrong with me. They took a... The doctors and the police were freaking out. They thought I'd be dead. I said I was up walking around looking for my cigarette lighter. He's missing. I wanted to smoke. And uh, they were just, the look on their faces was just like they'd seen a ghost, literally. They're scary looking. I'm like, what's wrong with you people? They said, You're, we, we were waiting for you to die. And I said, well, I guess you waited for nothing then because I ain't dying yet. And uh, they did the blood test, checked me over, and they didn't have any alcohol in my blood. When they'd done this, the blood test earlier, they said they'd never seen an alcohol content in anything still alive that wasn't floating in a jar of it. And uh, they couldn't believe it. But I didn't have a headache, I didn't have a hangover, didn't feel nauseous, I wasn't got marshmallow feelings that you get when you, when you drank too much the night before. And I pretty much lived in that marshmallow feeling all the time. But uh, I didn't have that. I didn't have any, any signs that I had drank before, ever. And none in my blood, you know, it was literally to say that, that I was touched by God. Because only that could have saved me that he kept me from dying that night, which was my intent, was to die that night. Well, so, William, I want, I want to ask you to, um, I do have some questions for you, but I want to ask you to try to speak a little bit louder into your device. So oh, okay. This gets picked up properly. But I, I, first of all, I want to say this to you. I, um, I know you mentioned that you're not a Christian and that you're a believer in God, and I am in no way trying to discredit the authenticity of your experience. So please understand that about me. 
I am a Baptist minister, but I am not trying to discredit or take anything away from your experience. I believe you, and and I think it's a it's a um, profound experience. Um, but l- let me ask you: Why don't you tell tell us a little bit about how long you had been living um, this life of, of developing this drinking, where you drank so much to the point where it almost killed you? I mean, yeah. for, okay, let's start with this. How much did you drink that day? That day I started off with uh, two half gallons of vodka and ended up with no vodka at the end of the day and a half a bottle of Jack Daniels. Lord have mercy. Why I drank that that night. But yeah, that was, that. I started at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning because Terry Grant always said, hey, if it's after 10 o'clock, it's okay to have a drink, right? All those old movies. Right. So <laughs> I like Terry Grant was just the coolest dude. So. I would never drink before 10. Of course, if I didn't stop drinking, it didn't count. So if I had been drinking all night and it was 8 o'clock in the morning, I was still drinking, that, that just didn't count. That wasn't a new day. That was just it continued on. So, But yeah, uh, 15 years I uh, drank. Well, William, um, that is, again, you know, this is a, um, first of all, I never heard of anyone consuming that amount of alcohol and like you said still living and coming through it with you know it's like you was raised from the dead it is it is just like that you know and 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 you told me that um you told me okay you told me how much you were drinking and you told me that you've been doing this for like 15 years or something and i i don't want to trigger anything here but have you been able to identify some of the things in your life that caused you to lean towards alcohol consumption in that Oh, absolutely. You know exactly what it was. Before I uh, had my first drink, I wasn't enough in my mind. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough, tall enough, good-looking enough, skinny enough. Smart enough for anything. Nobody could like me because I just wasn't enough. So I just kind of laid, stayed back in the background and then, you know, try not to cause, call any attention to myself and just quiet and more than shy, but just completely uh, unable to socialize and, and to function in normal social settings. I just didn't, didn't feel like I could. It just I wasn't good enough. There's something wrong with me. So, so what I'm what, what I'm hearing is what I'm hearing is is, is that there was based some self shaming stuff going on, right? Yeah, I just I just didn't feel. I, I wasn't saying you're not good enough. I just didn't feel good enough. I wouldn't tell myself that I wasn't good enough. I just felt I wasn't good enough. Well, it's just, just I just stayed back and didn't try. I can't I can't play kickball on on the recess team because I'm just not good enough. I'm not coordinated enough. I'm not fast enough. Not strong enough. And it was a feeling, and there wasn't an actual voice in my head, just a feeling in my heart that I just wasn't good enough to do the things that other people could do, and that I would fail and people wouldn't like me because I I wasn't good enough. So so um. How, once you had this experience of, you know, almost dying and you said you had this bright light experience, now I'm going to imagine this. I'm going to make an assumption and I might be wrong. And please correct me if I'm wrong and let me know if I'm right. 
Um, I would assume that that might not have been the end of your drinking. That was the very end of my drinking. Wow. Praise God for that. Crazy drink. Since then, I've never had another drink, one or two, that you thought about taking a drink. No matter what's gone on in my life that I could use as an excuse to drink, uh, I've never even thought about it. Wow. That is incredible. My divorce. Anything you can imagine going through hard times, uh, I went through sober, and drinking was never a thought. Praying was a thought. The first thought, God, help me know and do your will, no matter what happens. So when my brother killed himself, and God help me know and do your will. Sorry. What did I? Do? And uh, I did what what I felt was the next right thing to do, because that's all God ever asked me to do the next right thing in all my affairs. Well, listen, first, I'm sorry to hear of your brother, you said? Uh, thank you, thank you. And, 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 and I want to move to the, um, you said that while you were actually in the process of, of experiencing this, this alcohol poisoning, that you, you um, I don't know if you, when you woke up, you said that you had a peace. You felt peace and serenity and you felt like you were you, you were alive and you were healed. So, so I, I, I just think that, you know, I don't know if you heard me talking about the story that I was reading from this Bible, but the story is about a woman who was uh, had sickness for 18 years and she was bent over. Very close to the number of years you said you were drinking. She said mm -hmm. she was, the story said that she was bent over and she couldn't even stand up straight. She couldn't look up. And she encounters Jesus. Jesus calls her out of the crowd in the synagogue and he heals. She didn't even ask for anything. Um, she just got healed by Jesus called her out of the crowd. So let me ask you something. I'm imagining that you didn't ask God to heal you either and that it was just his gift. No, no, I, I asked God to just let me die, please. I didn't want to live this way anymore. I couldn't take it anymore. God, just let me die. And that was my exact word. Well, I guess that wasn't God's will for your life. He wanted to give you a second yeah. chance. You know, they say God is the, the God of another chance. And, and mm -hmm. look what happened. So look what happened. He, he not only did he save your life, did he rescue you, but God then um, strengthened you and enabled you to move on and to never to take another drink in your life. Now, how long? Uh, October the 6th was 30 years. 30 years? Man, you're trying to put the liquor business out of business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept in business long enough. I think I could just take some business from them now. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Well, listen, this is a this is a wonderful testimony, and this is why I, I like to um, come on this podcast to give people an opportunity to share their stories so that we can celebrate the presence of God and the activity of God in our lives. Now, just this woman um, who was in the Bible, it says that she, um, after she got healed, that she immediately straightened up and praised God. And to me, it reminds me of you because you said that immediately and never again did you take another drink. And I think by you not taking another drink, that that is in your own way, your way of praising God for, for all that he has done in your life. It is, it is. And it, uh, he gave me a new, uh, new path to follow, a new purpose.
uh, which the only purpose of life is living, but he gave me a way to contribute to, uh, to my life, and that's by helping others to recover from the uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, and uh, I've been doing that for the last 30 years. I keep a day job now and then, but uh, mostly uh, I just work with other alcoholics and uh, addicts that uh, I show them what God, I tell them what God did for me and I show them how he gave me the tools to maintain a, a happy, joyous, and free life with peace and serenity and, and not have to depend on anyone or anything for my worth except for uh, knowing that, that God made me and that's good enough. I, I just, I want to say, William, that this is a wonderful story. Um, it is a, uh, a testimony to the power of God that God reached out to you. You told him that you was ready to die. And God said, I don't think so. I've got other plans for you. And look at you now. He's transformed you from being the, um, the, the, the victim or, or, you know, of this alcoholism to now being someone that can actually stand in the gap and help someone else who, who's going through that. So I applaud you. I, I look at what you do, your vocation as being a ministry of sorts. And, and it's a wonderful thing that you can stand there with somebody else and help them along their way. Um, so I, I applaud you in this moment. And um, I, I just want to celebrate the the activity of God in your life and, and the, the lives of people that you are touching through your work. And I love working with the, the people from all religions, all backgrounds and, and uh, ethnic backgrounds and, and your social economic backgrounds because I learned so much about their faith and their beliefs and their trust. I don't teach people uh, how to be, I support everyone in, in taking part in their religious beliefs and going to their churches and synagogues and, and temples and taking part in it fully. Just, just put yourself into a hundred percent because that's what uh, is going to be the biggest aid in your recovery is getting into that. But what I teach them is how to create a conscious contact, just a relationship between them and the God that they believe in. <laughs> Not the religion, but the God that they believe in. That, with that relationship, you can go 30 years without taking a drink, 40, 50, 60. And if you break that relationship, though, I've seen people with more years than me go back out and drink again. Mm -hmm. Stop that conscious contact with God. They stop practicing their belief and putting their faith and trust in God because they thought, well, I went 35 years without a drink. I can I can do what I want now. You know, I can handle it. I know everything there is to know about it in 35 years. One drink ain't gonna hurt. And they were right. They took one drink. It didn't hurt. Well, two ain't gonna hurt this time. Three the next time. So it's not long. A few weeks and they're back at the bottom again where they were when they first came in. With all that misery and pain and just a desire to feel comfortable in your own skin. And that's what the alcohol does at first. It gives you that, that ability. You feel strong enough and tall enough and good looking enough and you can dance and sing and play ball and, and everything that you've ever wanted to do but you, you just didn't feel you're good enough to do. That's the difference between a, a 
alcoholic and a normal drinker is that normal people drink to enhance their mood or to come out of a bad mood into a better mood. But alcoholics drink because they want to change the way they feel about themselves. They want to feel like they fit in, like they belong, like they want to, like they, they can sing and dance and do all these things that they can't do without the alcohol. And come to find out we could always do it. It was our mindset as a, having a relationship with ourselves and knowing that there's a God that he's in the side of us and he's been, all we have to do is ask for help. And sometimes the answer is no when you ask just let me die. I'm glad the answer was no. It's like God, I believe, knows what's best for everyone. I don't try to give anybody any advice. I just tell them what I've done, how I've done it, which I learned from other people just like me. And, and my opinions and, and things like that doesn't, doesn't matter, doesn't come into it. It's just the experience of what did I do today not to take a drink? When I got up this morning, I thank God for everything I have. I ask God to help me know and do His will. And then I go about that. And His will simple is do the next right thing in every situation. So if the car gets a flat tire, the next right thing is to get out and fix the flat. Amen. It is not to steam and cuss and kick the car and put a den in it and throw the uh, jack through the window or throw the jack at somebody else. It's to do what's right. That's change the tire and go about the rest of my day. Well, William, I want to I wanna say something to you. Um, <clears throat> these episodes on this podcast um, get broadcast on Apple Radio, on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and they get on my website, and people around the world hear this. So my prayer is that God would continue to use you through your story. Um, I mean, there's some people out in Dublin, Ireland that are listening, that will be listening to this later on today, um, and through the website. If if so, you you don't have a problem with that, do you? No, no, I don't. I don't. All right. So so um, if you, I don't know if you have a computer or not, but if you do. You can go on to, um, you know, the, the website is on my profile here. It's www.reverendjstuartglover. And by tomorrow, you'll see these episodes posted up. And by tomorrow, it'll be on Apple, um, Apple Podcast, um, Amazon, Audible Podcast, iHeartRadio, and, and all the other um, podcast platforms. So my prayer again, and I thank you for coming on, is that people hear your story and and do exactly what you said which is look inward and find god the god that can save you and and deliver you from the the grips the paralyzing grips of this alcoholism and 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 the the poisonous um paralyzing devastating um bondage of being uh, an alcoholic so thank you for coming on i'm gonna sign off now thank you so much for coming on and um I want you, you know, if you go on to this website to join the mailing list, because I want to connect with you in the future to hear more of your story and perhaps how we can get get you to um, come on again sometime in the future. That would be great. I will do that. All right. Um, so listen, thank you so much for coming on. God bless you. And I'm signing off. And I, I look forward to hearing from you again so we can connect. You bet, my friend. You All right. Have a God great- bless. Thanks so much for coming on.
Now, um, you've been listening to Faith Talk, and I certainly thank you for being a part of our listening community. Now, I must say that the theological views of any of my guests are, are not always reflective of my own opinions and theology. However, we intend to allow people freedom to let their voice be heard and share their experience with God, the God that they know. And I would like to thank um, William Blackfox for coming on today. Um, I think he had a very rich contribution to this, to this segment, this episode, which is exactly what I want to do. People to come in and share their story so we can all be encouraged um, to, to look towards God, to delivering us out of, our, out of the things that try to pull us away. Now, again, you can visit the website at www.reverendjstuartglover.com. Leave your comments on these episodes, which are open for criticism. On that website, you can register as a guest. On the show, you can contact me directly by email, or you can even leave me a voicemail. One more announcement is that I released a book. It's It's called Religious Education, Journey Beyond the Insularity of the Religious Text. And it's available on Amazon. And, and like, like uh, William Black Fox just talked about, it discusses us being able to embrace and celebrate the presence of God in the religious other, people who don't share in our same faith tradition, or perhaps even the people with no religious tradition at all. So again, thank you, uh, William Black Fox, for coming on. This is Reverend Jay Glover, and I will see you next Sunday, same time. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.